So welcome to another edition of the TDN Writer's Room brought to you by Keeneland. If you're keeping score at home, a couple of things to point out. First of all, we're taping this on Tuesday, November 28th. So happy Thanksgiving, a little delayed. Also, you'll notice the absence of one Bill Finley, who is pretty much under the weather right now. So he won't be with us. It's just us two. We probably don't need introductions. We've done this so often, but... Just to be consistent, I'm Randy Moss with NBC Sports, and you are? Zoe Cabin with Fast Racing, and yeah, we're going to replace Bill with Bert. Sue just managed to see Bert Reynolds, my naked Bert Reynolds, so this is going to be, instead of Bill, we're going to have Bert, so I doubt you'll see me on camera much because Sue won't allow it, but yeah, that's Bert. Um, the Cosmopolitan pinup circa what about 1978 or something like that? Oh my yeah, gosh! He's lying on a bearskin rug. In fact, he's like resting his arm on his head. You know, it's one of those iconic pictures. Why wouldn't I have it on my piano? I never play. A little like Lucy right now, just kind of laid out on the couch. You know, exactly. a little spread eagle. Yeah. Okay. Well, I was looking for Doodle, but I can't find him. I don't know where he is. He's out there somewhere. <laughs> All right, just me and you, Zoe, as we skip through this. Let's, uh, we'll start off with a recap of uh, some of the graded stakes races in Kentucky and also at Del Mar this past weekend. Friday, the Clark Handicap at Churchill Downs trademark after knocking on the door so often, the improving four-year-old gelding finally got his first graded win in a tight, tight photo finish over first mission. What were your thoughts on the Clark? I thought he was absolutely terrific, and he was most definitely the best horse at 13 to 1. I'll tell you, Vicky Oliver is one of the most underrated trainers that I think they have on the Kentucky circuit. She's a terrific horsewoman. She's hands-on, and she does a great job. And this is just a combination of all of that, plus some fantastic breeding by the late, great Governor Jones, because this is a whole Governor Jones family. He's by upstart. I thought he was absolutely brilliant. Now, it got close at the end, but first mission drifted out all the way down the lane. Mm -hmm. I, have a, I have a sneaky feeling, had first mission got his nose down, that he was coming down because he pushed him all the way out. The head on, he moves out about 10 paths all the way down the lane. So I think it's just as well that Trademark won, becoming racing's newest millionaire. Congrats to him and... Wow, what a year he's had. He has not missed a beat. He's made over 500,000. He's only won two races, but he's been well-placed. I, I wrote down where he's run this year alone. Tampa, Keeneland, Churchill, Monmouth, Indiana, Monmouth, Churchill, Keeneland, and Churchill once more. So he's been well-spotted by trainer Vicky Oliver. Yeah, Vicky's not afraid to ship horses around, and she's not afraid nope. to run long shots in major stakes races, and this one paid off to the tune of 13 to one with a career high 102 buyer speed figure. Now, Saturday, several stakes races will focus on the two-year-olds. Whit Beckman, the trainer, will be our green group guest of the week. He sent out Honor Marie to win the Kentucky Jockey Club, roaring from off the pace to score a very, I thought, 
visually impressive win. What struck me the most about that win, Zoe, was the fact that he came from last in a race that didn't have a tremendously aggressive pace. And you watch him gallop out after the race around the around the clubhouse turn. He was probably 10 in front at the 7-8 pole. Yeah, I mean, he looked just absolutely amazing. He's a son of honor code. Now, risk it, one of the favorites in there for Asmussen. He didn't have a comfortable trip at all. He was in trouble the whole way, and Honor Marie just got a dream trip, safe ground down the backside, was way, way last. Beirano doing his best, I'm not panicking ever. Very wide around the turn and just one with authority. He drew off like a good thing. Now, he was kept busy by Beirano, and we'll hear from Witt a little bit later on and where they're going to be headed with him, but it looks like they're going to be going down to New Orleans with him for their terrific three-year-old uh, campaign. They have some good three-year-old races down there. So he was very good, 144.31, a couple of ticks quicker than the girls ran that day, but certainly a good horse, certainly one to watch out for. And you mentioned the girls, the Philly counterpart of that, the Goldenrod Stakes won by Intricate over Torpedo Anna. I hope people took our advice last week and played the exact back and forth because it paid $32.68 for a $2 bet. Intricate, very visually impressive, but Torpedo Anna, I thought, was also uh, uh, had a very strong effort to finish second because she didn't have the best trip in the world. No, I know you're all about trips. So I'm not sure that Intricate could have got a better trip. You heard the race caller saying it was picture perfect. That's a dream trip. You sit in the pocket the whole way, you split horses turning for home and you draw off like she just drew off. I mean, you don't get a much better trip than that. Like if you're a jock and you ride that kind of race, you go back to the jock's room and you're like, yeah, yeah, that was good. And yeah, Gaffione just showed why he is the leading rider at the Churchill meet. So now as a handicapper, you've got one of these dilemmas the next time these two horses run against each other. Intricate had that dream trip, looked very, a very good turn of foot when she, when she got through on the inside, spurted away to win by five. But Torpedo Anna, the runner-up, broke in the air. She was last immediately, four wide on the first turn, three wide on the second turn. Is that enough to make a five-length difference in the margin of finish? I think probably not. But Torpedo Anna certainly didn't disgrace herself finishing second. You're very much a trip handicapper, and I am not. So I, you, you're going to hold that against Intricate. I just think she was the beneficiary of a perfect trip, and had she gone wide like Torpedo Anna, she's still going to win. So yeah. that, that is my feeling, and we'll, we'll just beg to disagree on this, but you are very much, and it works. You are a trip handicapper, and I'm obviously not smart enough to be one. But I understand what you're saying. Horses can get perfect trips and then don't capitalize. She got a perfect trip and then sealed the deal and with that nice turn of foot and drew off to win by five. Now, West Coast, where you are, I presume, this weekend, Friday, uh, the grade two Hollywood Turf Cup, Planetario scored a mild upset over the Chad Brown train, Francisco Clemente. Saturday, uh, Easter might be the most difficult horse in America to ride. Key to one, two, three finish for trainer Phil D'Amato in the grade two Seabiscuit. And then Sunday, Mr. Fisk and Bob Baffert defeated a Skinner, who was the favorite in the grade three native diver. What were your takeaways um, from those races? Uh, Skinner can't seem to ever win a race, even if he's a favorite, even if he gets the widest, best trip of all. He's just, he's camera shy. It's it's just as simple as that. And I think Mr. Mr. Fisk 
Maybe no one realized quite how good he was compared to all of the other ones that Bob has. It's like it's seemingly like they've just passed the baton to Mr. Fisk now, who's probably going to go on and do great things. As far as Skinner, I, I don't know what to think about Skinner. You know, if he could run his maiden race again, maybe he's going to win a race, but he's definitely a bit camera shy. As far as Planetario is concerned, he's good. He's very, very good. And I think I read in the DRF that um, he uh, maybe headed to Saudi. Like Mandela, Mandela's having a killer meet. I don't know if he's close to leading trainer, but every time I look up, he's winning at graded stakes. Like he's having probably one of the best meets that he's ever had down there. And Planetario looks like he's going to be hopping on an airplane and being going to run in some really, really good stakes. And Hector Berrios is one of the best, if not the best, turf riders we have out here in Southern California. He just seems to have a knack just to time things to the minute. And we saw how good he was on the Chosen Vron as well. Like his finishing style, while he doesn't seem like he's overly aggressive, it's just his timing, which is making him just a really good jockey. So a couple of those races were on the turf. None of the races scheduled to be on the grass this past weekend at Churchill Downs were actually run on the turf because Churchill Downs continues to have major issues with its brand new $10 million turf course installation. Uh, and they've had problems with it throughout the calendar year 2023 and even uh, before that, actually. Uh, I don't know what they can do going forward. But it certainly uh, was a pretty significant issue this fall. Yeah. And I don't know what the deal is. I mean, initially, you know, when they ran the Beverly D on it and then they took the rest of them off, it was just it was just like they put it down and it was just coming up like a carpet that's not tied in at the corners. So, I mean, at this point, you just rip it up and start again. Yeah, that's going to be a big uh, that's going to be a big issue for them next spring. So obviously the roots aren't really taking hold, right? Right. It's it's the same sort of grass mixture that the old turf course had a a, a, a combination of uh, of Kentucky bluegrass and fescue. Uh, the company that they hired to install it, STRI, is a group based in the UK that was involved in the turf courses at Royal Ascot, at the Saudi Cup. They're consultants for grass uh, with the World Cup soccer, with Wimbledon, with the British Open. But not surprisingly, when you look at the STRA website and they have a tab for showcase projects, Churchill Downs is not included among their <laughs> showcased projects. So really all Churchill can do right now is you can't obviously tear it up right now and start over because you can't get grass to grow over the winter. Uh, so all they can do is just feed it and nourish it the best they can. Uh, this past spring, the turf course was functional. It was okay uh, for Kentucky Derby weekend, for example. So they can just hope that the turf course again comes in and it's acceptable uh, next spring by the time the Kentucky Derby rolls around. And then They've got that big decision you were talking about. What do you do? Do you roll the dice and just keep pressing forward or do you blow the whole thing up and start over? I mean, they've got millions and millions and millions of dollars to spend. Could they not put some kind of tiny little greenhouse just over the turf course? You know how you put like straw down and cover it in plastic, like do something. 
I mean, that sounds very basic, but if you have the ways and the means to do it, surely there is a way to grow grass in the winter. I mean, come on, we can fly guys to the moon. You can grow grass in the winter in Kentucky. It can surely happen. Well, they've had a lot of different consultants they brought in to try to solve this thing, and uh, it is still very much TBD. Let's go across the Pacific Ocean, a couple of big races in Japan uh, this past weekend. We'll uh, go in reverse chronological order on Sunday, the Japan Cup, the sixth win in a row for the marvelous Equinox, who is rated as the number one horse in the world, and understandably so. And boy, Zoe, he was dazzling once again. And he did something different. I was listening to an interview with Christophe Lemaire, and he said that in all his races, he's just like quickened gradually and just kind of galloped over the top of all the other horses and just taken off. This time, with the horse zipping out to the lead, uh, the World Cup winner, what was his name? Um, anyway, he opened up uh, like... Uh, uh, Panthalassa. Panthalassa, who's now been retired. Um, he opened up like 20 lengths. This time he sat and Christoph said... It was the first time he'd actually felt that sudden acceleration that like sat him back in his saddle and he took off. He went the final three eights in 33 and won in just an absolute gallop. He is a beast, but okay. You've seen how big he is, right? How much do you think he weighs? Are you, are you good on horse's weight? How big is he? Height-wise, what would you say? I don't know. I don't know. He's probably he's not tall. 17 hands. He's probably not quite that high, right? He's very tall. He looks like he's massive because I think he's so tall. How about 12? I'll go 12, 20. He's, he's 490 kilos or 95 kilos, which gives you about 1090. That's so it? he's un, under 1,100 pounds. Yeah. He okay. uh, paints a big figure, but I think he's just tall and lean. Like he's a, a pure athlete. So now um, the, I, the, the the $10 million question, Zoe, now, literally, more than that, actually, is what they do with him now. Well, he's going to run they, in they have to prove? What do they do? What do you think? Got, I think they've got one more race to run him in, perhaps, which would be the next one in the series, which would make him like the all-time winningest horse in Japan. And it looks like they're probably going to go there, the Amano Kinnan or something. Um but, oh, boy, it would be fantastic to see him race next year. But yeah, I don't would, know. That would be really happen. cool. Uh, one other note about him. You know who else is really excited about the success of Equinox? And this is something we haven't really heard. Arthur Hancock. Not only is Sunday Silence the great grandsire of Equinox, if you look at the female side of the pedigree and you go back a couple of generations, you see a filly by the name of Goodbye Halo, who won the oh, Kentucky wow. Oaks in 19... 88 for Arthur Hancock uh, was sold to the Japanese at auction for $2.1 million and winds up being on the female side of the pedigree of Equinox. Wow. So you get Hancock on top with Sunday Silence, Hancock on bottom with the seven-time Grade 1 winner and Goodbye Halo. Now, Saturday, the Japan road to the Kentucky Derby continued with the Catalia Stakes at Tokyo. One turn mile, won by Amante Bianco. That's uh, a second a second consecutive or second win in three starts for Amante Bianco, who is best known, as you know, Zoe, for what he looks like. He is a rare, pure white racehorse. Did you ever ride a white racehorse? I did once, not very fast. Definitely not. <laughs> 
<laughs> not very fast at all, in fact. But Ami Amanta Bianco is extremely fast. And this is the one Bill wanted to talk about, the white horse. Like, he's very well related to a lot of good thoroughbreds, including Sadashi. It was the first race for the road to the Kentucky Derby. It just boggles my mind that we're already talking about the road to Kentucky Derby. We just had Breeders' Cup. It's just insane. But this is the first leg for Japan on the road to the Kentucky Derby. So he picks up his uh, 10 points for that. You know, that's the 12th race they've had for the road to the Kentucky Derby already. Number 12. Yeah, that was the 12th one. The next one is this Saturday's Remsen at Aqueduct, which we'll talk about in a little bit, in a little bit later. But there's three more races on the road to the Kentucky Derby in Japan. So we do know how they love to come over here. So I think it's great. It's fantastic. Ami Bianco. Get it. Let's go. And one thing that might work against the Japanese horses coming over to the United States next year is that for the first time in 2024, Japan Racing will have an organized dirt triple crown. They've had really? a turf triple crown for three-year-olds for a long time. The JRA and the National Association of Racing, the minor league tracks, the NAR, at, uh, at uh, OE Racetrack, primarily in Tokyo, have now designed a triple crown for three-year-olds late April, early June, and October. The uh, Haneda High, the Tokyo Derby, and what will be called the Japan Dirt Classic in October. So whether that keeps some of the top three-year-olds from Japan in Japan, instead of coming over to the United States, like Derma Sotogaki and Continuar, who didn't actually run Continuar last year, and Mandarin Hero. Uh, we'll see what happens there. Uh, but anyway, uh, the first leg is in the books with Amante Bianco. There's still nothing like the Kentucky Derby, though. I mean, honestly, there is, there's no race that captures a world audience like the Kentucky Derby. As far and as no I'm white concerned. horse has ever competed in the Kentucky Derby, so we'll see if Amante Bianco can be... Uh, white horse number one. Well, let's see if we can do that. All right, let's move on. The TDN Writers Room is brought to you by Keeneland. Make plans to attend the Keeneland January Horses of All Ages sale taking place from January the 8th to January the 11th. Keeneland's January Horses of All Ages sale is noted for high quality broodmare prospects and short yearlings and for being among the final opportunities for breeders to ob obtain stock as the breeding season nears. That will be February the 14th, Valentine's Day. Supplemental entries are still being accepted. We'll be right back after this message from Keeneland. At Keeneland, a horse will always be measured in hands. Hands that see, that sense, Hands that hold our sport to a higher standard. Not for our sake, but for theirs. For the love of the horse. For generations to come. Every week, the Fastest Horse of the Week segment here on the TD and Riders Room is brought to you by the Fast Sires at Windstar Farm. The stallion we're going to talk about this week is Constitution, who had three two-year-old winners on Saturday and is the number two sire right now of two-year-olds in America. He's had 26 individual two-year-old winners in 2023, and those have accounted for almost $2.5 million in earnings. One of those two-year-old winners, here's a name to remember, Parchment Paper, 
He's already a TD and rising star from his win at Churchill earlier this month. You go back and look at that race. That is going to turn out, I think, to be a key race for two-year-olds going forward. Constitution bred 215 graded winners, producers over the past four years, laying a foundation for the future that's already paying off with the season-topping weanling at Keeneland and making him a top 10 sire of yearlings in 2023. And Constitution stands for $110,000 at Windstar Farm. Now, the fastest horse of the week, it took place on Thanksgiving Day on a rare, at least for this past week, turf race at Churchill Downs. It was over a good course. It was the Cardinal Stakes at Churchill. It was won by a horse named Star Fortress, making her very first start in the United States for trainer Cherie DeVoe and owners John and Tanya Gunther of Justify fame and all that Star Fortress did in her very first start in this country was win a graded stakes race on turf by 10 lengths in a 104 buyer speed figure, which topped all the buyer speed figures for this past week and makes Star Fortress our fastest horse of the week. All right, Zoe, some other news items to catch up on here. First of all, uh, we had expected to see Mage running the Breeders' Cup Classic. They pulled the plug on that uh, because of some issues back at the training center in Kentucky. They plotted out a very ambitious future campaign for Mage. Now the news breaks. Mage has been retired to Airdrie Stud. And we've seen time and time again, Airdrie doing a fantastic job of marketing new stallions, standing behind them and Breeding their good mares to them. We've seen what they did to collect it to start him off. Roadster, they shipped him down to Ocala Stud. He's down there, got a full book down there. Um, so it's probably the best place for him. As far as his win record is concerned, he's just won two races from seven starts. When you consider Rich Strike won two of 14. But he's a very good horse. He's out of that fantastic mare, Puka. We'll talk about Dornock, his first, his uh, full brother, a little bit later on. I mean, if Dornock wins the Remsen, she's broodmare of the year for sure. So he's from a good line. He's probably the best son of good magic. He is eligible for non-winners of two. It would have been nice to see him compete next year. And I'm delighted that that was the actual plan. It's not a bunch of BS we're hearing about all of a sudden. Um, they scanned him and did everything just to make sure he was good to move forward. He just had to work out at the Thoroughbred Training Center, and they had to pull the plug. He still remains the fastest Kentucky Derby winner in the last 15 years to win with a 105 by a speed figure, which is pretty cool considering that's Ellipse Justify, an American pharaoh, to think that he's been the fastest one for the last 15 years. He's had the fastest buyer speed figure for any three-year-old over a mile this year. If you really like delve into him and just take a look at all the facts and figures in front of you, it's hard to yeah. deny he's a really good three-year-old. He was third in the Preakness. He came back to be second in the Haskell before the wheels kind of fell off there. They had penciled in sort of a possible schedule of the Pegasus World Cup and then the Saudi Cup and maybe the Dubai World Cup or one of those two. But when some issues popped up at the Kentucky Training Center, they were going to keep him out for three months or so. Then that was going to preclude running him in those races. We don't talk about this a lot, but it's sort of the same thing with Equinox to a larger scale. When you have a horse that's this valuable, right, and he's by good magic, a son of Curlin, 
Derby winner. He's got a lot of value at stud, you would think. And you miss some of those major, major stakes races. The cost of insurance to keep a horse like that running uh, when you miss some of those huge payday type races at, at some point becomes so steep that it becomes a lot easier just to say, okay, rather than go that route, uh, we'll just take the money at stud, which is obviously big. Yeah, 25000 a pop for him seems like a, a fair price. He's already at Airdrie. I saw some lovely pictures of the whole crew, the groom included, that all took him to Airdrie and, and bid him farewell. A, a little bittersweet for the Gustavo boys, but nonetheless, he's in the best of hands. I mean, Airdrie, Brett Jones just do phenomenal work there with marketing their stallions and breeding a lot of their good mares to them. So I'm wishing them the best of luck. So another news item, we talked about this last week, the uh, the 60 Minutes episode on horse racing. Uh, Bill Finley could talk about this particular part of the segment a lot more if he were here. But in in absentia, we'll talk about uh, we'll talk about it for him uh, on the TDN website. He's got an outstanding Q&A uh, with uh, Jockey Club Chairman Stuart Janney that we encourage you all to read. Uh, Janney had some interesting comments about that 60 Minutes episode. Uh, he said that he obviously appeared on the 60 Minutes episode. Uh, he said that CBS sat down with him for three hours back in June and also for an hour with Lisa Lazarus. But he said he was not involved in actually encouraging CBS uh, to uh, to do that 60 Minutes segment. He said he thought it could have been more positive, uh, but he also thought that the finished product could have been a lot worse. A very interesting interview with Stuart Janney. Uh, what were your takeaways on that, Zoe? I mean, anytime you sit down and you get interviewed for three hours for a 15-minute long piece that you're probably going to be in for 25% of it, that's right there. It's worrying. If you don't have full control over the final edit, then someone has an agenda. And I think it's a little bit worrisome to agree to do something without seeing the final and you never get to see the final final. But yeah, if you're interviewed for three hours, everything that you say is not going to come out and they're going to have the way they want to narrate it. And that's what came out. Did it come out great? No, it, it certainly didn't. But I would be worried doing a piece for 60 minutes if I sat down and they interviewed me for three hours and used two minutes of it. The, you know, the most pertinent points. That's the worrying part right there. Um, you know, and some of the things that he said to Bill were interesting. You know, a lot of people were talking about the jockey club and the Bessemer Trust and and money changing hands. And he said, no, nothing, nothing really ever happens with that. Um, it, it was interesting and a good job by Bill to get Stuart to come on and fair play to Stuart for coming on and ask, answering the tough questions that Bill asked him. Yeah, one of the other interesting aspects to this, uh, to the interview, I thought, you know, Jewy, uh, uh, Janney acknowledged that uh, he, he could see why people were upset at the finished product. Um, he felt like when they sat down in June, the emphasis of the piece was going to be on some of the positive aspects that have taken place with HISA, uh, with the investigations and the subsequent imprisonment of Jorge Navarro and Jason Service as an effort to clean up the sport. But in between came the breakdowns at Churchill Downs, at 
at uh, Pimlico, obviously, with having a meltdown, but but really more specifically at Saratoga. And so then CBS decided to maybe go a different route and focus a little bit more on the breakdowns than he had anticipated. But Yeah, I mean, not. Not not the best look for horse racing, but it's done, and we've seen time and time again that people have short memories. So hopefully they'll forget about that. Horse racing has short memories. Another news item interesting to both of us, uh, the announcement that Brittany Orton will be leaving FanDuel TV, uh, known previously, of course, as TVG, uh, to pursue, uh, possibly pursue some other opportunities. I know you've known Brittany for a long time. You've seen her grow up out there, really. Uh, your thoughts on that? I'm delighted for her. I really am. Um, she's in the process of moving to New York with a boyfriend, and she doesn't have anything written in stone. I think she's just taking a leap of faith and seeing where the apple falls. You know, if you're a free agent, all of a sudden you have more work coming in than you ever know what to do with. You just you got to have the balls to take that leap of faith. And uh, I was speaking to her dad, Peter, because, you know, she's very good with her money. She squirrels it away. So she's been oh, squirreling really? it. She's been squirreling it away. Because I she'll have to be remember okay that. Yeah. <laughs> so he's like, yeah, she squirreled it away and they're going to move to New York and see where it goes. I think she's already got a few offers um, from, I don't know, here and there. I'm sure she'll continue to do stuff with you guys with NBC, which is great. So... You know, this wasn't always in her future, the horse racing. She just happened to fall into it. I think initially she wanted to be an actress. So, you know, we'll we'll see where it goes. She's a great girl, hasn't gone to her head. She's good fun to be around. She knows her stuff. She's well rehearsed. Uh, I wish her the best of luck. Really do. Yeah, me too. I, I, I reached out to her by text yesterday. She is going to continue. Good for us. Uh, her work with NBC Sports covering horse racing, and we've all seen her. Now, for years at NBC and on uh, FanDuel and TVG, she's remarkably talented, very, as you said, very buttoned up and prepares, and she'll no doubt be a success in whatever she tries to do. Um, and it doesn't have to be in horse racing. It can be in entertainment. Uh, it Absolutely. can be in any other broadcast media. TD and Riders Room also brought to you by the PHBA, the Pennsylvania Horse Breeders Association, and Pennsylvania Breds had a lot to be thankful for over the Thanksgiving holidays. King Kumbale won the Richard Small Stakes at Laurel on Saturday. He's a five-year-old Pennsylvania bred, owned by Kingsport Farm, and was bred by the late Jonathan Shepard. The two-year-old Philly Pennsylvania bred Shamrock Rose Stakes won handily by the Lilith Boucher bred Carmelina. Six furlongs in 110 flat, owned by... Fleet Alex's former connections, Cash is King, LLC, along with LC Racing. And Pennsylvania has a new stallion for 2024. You remember this one from the Mike Maker Barn. Some like it hot brown. Will enter stud next year at Cabin Creek Farm near Gettysburg, the son of Big Brown. Multiple grade one placed and a multiple grade two winner. That brings the Pennsylvania new stallion total to five for the 2024 breeding season. And as always, another reminder, the last leg of the million dollar two-year-old PA Sire PA Bread Stallion Series, December 27th, two $200,000 races, Phillies, Colts at a mile and 70 yards. Go to pabread.com to make sure your two-year-old is nominated. Or if you have other questions, email them at info at pabread.com. PA Bread, I think we've built a, a brand at this point. The state of Pennsylvania has the best breeders program in the entire United States. 
Angel of Empire wins the Arkansas Derby and wins it clear. Caravelle in the Breeders' Cup Turf Sprint. Pennsylvania and the PHBA have the best state-bred program in the country, bar none. The best Breeders' Awards and Stallion Awards in the country. As always, our guest of the week is brought to you by The Green Group, a tax consulting and advisory firm specializing in the thoroughbred industry and especially in saving you money on your taxes. And now we are here with our Green Group guest of the week. Joining us is trainer Whit Beckman. We've already talked about the big win Saturday for Honor Marie in the Kentucky Jockey Club. Well, Mr. Beckman is the trainer of Honor Marie. Thanks for being with us, Whit. Let's start off softball question. What did you think about Honor Marie's chances going into the Kentucky Jockey Club and give us your analysis of the race after you see it? Yeah, I was, I mean, we were waiting for that two-turn start. So, I mean, going into it, I was fairly confident we were going to see that kind of, you know, new dimension of him being able to really close, um, you know, and kind of find his best stride. Some of those, you know, one-turn races, you could see he kind of takes a while to get himself, you know, kind of geared up. You know, fortunately, in that first start, you know, everything kind of worked out. He got there. That second start, you know, real sloppy track. You know, it was just some tough conditions, but he still ran a really, I thought, legitimate race. And, I mean, going into this, his work prior to it, I wasn't, you know, 100% going to go to the jockey club. We were thinking maybe take him down to New Orleans and start there. But, um, yeah, like I said, he, um, yeah, he figured it out and was just thrilled to see it happen. How good do you think he is? Um, I don't know. I mean, he's done everything right to this point. Like I said, he's a, he's a young, you know, young horse. He's late foal, May foal. So him early on, just some maturity things and just kind of some rawness about him. We needed a little bit more time to kind of get him going. But now that he's starting to kind of figure things out on the mental side, um, the physical, you know, we've always known was there. So, I mean, at this point, the way he won, the way he galloped out, especially, I mean, he could go on to be a very legitimate horse, but I don't know. I've been in this position, you know, working for some other guys before. And sometimes November, you see things that, you know, don't necessarily uh, carry on into the three-year-old year. Yeah, worked for some other guys before. That's a that's a, that's a a nice little way to toss that out there, right? The Chad yeah, Brown, yeah. Todd Pletcher, uh, yeah. Owen Hardy, Saudi Arabia. You've got quite the interesting background. Before we dive into some of that, and it's fascinating, what's next now? Uh, for Honor Marie. I understand you're going to the fairgrounds. Is that where your winter base is going to be? Yeah, we're going to take him down. Actually, we're shipping out this afternoon. Um, we're going to kind of get things set up. I'm actually going to be, I'm going to leave some horses here, you know, to kind of utilize the Turfway program. We got some Kentucky breads that I think fit well, but I, you know, we got about eight stalls, 10 stalls down there in New Orleans. So we'll, uh, you know, take some of our better dirt horses and turf horses down there for the winter. Have you spent the winter at New, in New Orleans before? But you're going to be diving backwards and forwards, right? Yeah, I've never, like, gone and stayed the whole winter or kept the strain down there. You know, when I worked for Todd, we'd ship in. You know, I'd spend some, you know, weeks at a time. But I've never been there for the long haul. So, um, last year we went to Tampa. year before we stayed around here. We're still just trying to, you know, new stable, trying to kind of get our bearings and figure out what's best for, you know, our program and our horses. And, you know, this is uh, it's a new thing for us. But... You know, I just, uh, I think it's got a lot of um, perks for our horses, and I think they'll fit down there. So how many horses would you have in training? Because that's always a, a tough ask to split your stable at such an early age. It, it can be tough. It is, it is. It's not ideal, but I've got some really good people. And I think a lot of it, too, is building a staff, you know, that you can kind of feel comfortable and, you know, moving back and forth and knowing that, 
things will be you know taken care of uh, in both places. But we've only got let's see after shipping a few out, a few going to sales. We're you know about twenty right now. So I mean we've always been a small stable. We're not necessarily you know having to worry about those big numbers. But you know you split ten, twenty, either way. You know it's still got the same challenges. So Honor Marie was your very first graded stakes winner. You just went out on your own in 2021, about five years with Chad Brown, about six years with Todd Pletcher. In between, you detoured to Saudi Arabia. I want to ask you about that because we had Jimmy Jerkins on last week to talk about Saudi Arabia. But uh, how much, I watched it. Okay. Well, first of all, how much does your experience handling, uh, being around top three-year-olds with Chad and especially with Todd, uh, how much is that going to help you now with Honor Marie, you think, going forward? Well, I think just kind of, you know, sitting in and just being a part of a lot of, you know, the campaigning they did and strategizing towards, you know, taking from this point, November, when you know you've got something to work with, and then obviously as other things develop, but you don't really, you know, kind of notice it until this point now when you kind of go back through, you know, your experiences and you kind of just you know, you have an idea about, you know, obviously what it takes to make it there and how things just have to go so perfectly. And, you know, with you know, tons of three-year-old options, you know, you just kind of got to figure out what you have, you know, with your horse and then, you know, where they're going to best fit and timing and just, you know, there's a lot of moving parts that, you know, have to come together. And we all know how this is like, probably one of the, you know, you got to have some luck on your side too. That being said, you are opting to go to New Orleans with your big horse are you trying to avoid Todd and Chad? Because they, they don't have stables there in the wintertime. Well, what's the reasoning for going to New Orleans? Yeah, I'm not trying to avoid them <laughs> specifically or anybody specifically. I think just, you know, I've spent a lot of time in South Florida and just trying to figure out, I think, New Orleans, you know, just being part of the Kentucky circuit and then the New Orleans circuit. You know, this is Louisville's where I'm from, Louisville's my home base, you know, being a Churchill track. And just trying to figure out somewhere where I'm like, say they've got a beautiful turf course. I think it had a lot of things, not just specific for, for the three-year-olds right. that just suit our stable. You know, they do have, you know, claiming races on turf. They have just, and it's not, like I said, it's not as tough as Gulfstream. I don't think, you know, you look at the, you know, lineups down there, they tend to get some pretty, uh, you know, pretty salty races. It may not have been your first job, but you kind of started off at the University of Pletcher before you wound up being some around some of the top horses in the country with Chad Brown. I think you're 41 years old. You made the comment when you went on your own that you felt you might be even over-prepared as far as the actual hands-on training aspect of the horses goes. What, what's been the biggest challenge for you in developing a racing stable now as the head coach, so to speak, instead of a coordinator? Um, I mean, early on when you only have a few horses, you know, there's some things you kind of get used to in big stables, you know, just with freezing and company and trying to find things that, you know, work to help develop your horses. Staff is another big thing, you know. I think that's one of the underplayed things about how important it is to have a really good, solid staff behind you. Like, it's impossible to do this on our own. So to kind of, as we went on, it was a lot of turnover early. And, you know, it's kind of really settled down. And I've got, you know, a pretty static group of guys and, and women. And just, you know, getting all that where I can kind of, you know, do my thing and trust that things are going to be executed, you know, kind of the way we've set it up to do, that's – I think probably the biggest accomplishment and then obviously, you know, recruiting some better horses, you know, better owners and just, you know, getting the support from the people that have been with us from the get go. And it's, like I said, it's, there's challenges every day. There's a lot of stress, you know, it used to be the assistant kind of go home and you don't necessarily have to worry about fielding all the, you know, phone calls and stuff that come after hours, but, you know, just kind of 
balancing it all and just, you know, trying to be where you need to be at the right place at the right time. Because now you're a bit you're you're a businessman now as well as a horse trainer. Right. Yeah, I think that, yeah, exactly. The business aspect of, um, you know, running a racing stable and I've had some help, you know, I've got my sister who's, um, you know, been doing my books and helping me with the payroll and just a lot of the order and just a lot of the stuff that, you know, helps take the pressure off me so I can really focus on, you know, being in the, you know, on the ground in the morning with the horses and just giving that as much of my attention as possible. And I'm learning, I'm learning on the fly, you know, it was one of those things that probably wasn't my strong suit when I, you know, came into this, but we're, uh, yeah, starting to kind of pick up the pieces. And that's smart because that is one of the trials and tribulations to being a trainer. Now, even when you work for Todd and Chad, you didn't have to deal with the paperwork. No one had to deal with Hissa then. So you've actually yeah. hired someone to assist you with that, which is one of the major hurdles for young trainers now. Totally agree. Like she's been unbelievable and, you know, I haven't had to enter anything in there. She does everything for me. She's on top of it all. I said, I know what I'm doing, but it's like one of those things. It's just an extra step on an already extremely, you know, just busy and with things changing so rapidly, we're just all kind of trying to, you know, stay ahead of it and to have somebody in your corner that's, you know, especially kind of reaching out and preparing me for things that, you know, I may not notice. You got to have a good team and, you know, it's, it's what, we're, what we're building. So Todd obviously is in the Hall of Fame. Chad will be a first ballot Hall of Famer. Just looking at them on the surface, it seems like they may be kind of different types of trainers. But I'm sure when you're, you know, when you're on your hands and knees in a stall or when you're dealing with other horses around them, there's a lot of similarities between the two guys. What are a couple of the key takeaways that, that you got out of your time with Todd? And then also with chat. Um, well, I guess I think about this two ways. There's one way is like, I'm the only one that really knows that. So I don't know if I want to tell everybody what the differences <laughs> are, because I don't know that anybody else has sat so close to either one of them. But True. I mean, fundamentally, like I said, training horses is, you know, we all kind of have the same, I mean, it was the same program, you know, you breeze, you walk them, you gallop them, you do the things that get the horses, you know, from point A to point B from, you know, our standpoint of trying to get them fit and just, I think a lot of it comes down to attention to detail, you know, keeping the horses happy, healthy, just making sure you can make adjustments on the fly. You know, there's just so many little nuances that are so similar. I mean, differences, I don't think there's as many as people would want to, you know, throw out there. Like you said, they got, they're two different people, you know, and two different kind of, you know, just personalities. But at the same time, they're both just incredibly just, you know, focus driven and you see that with the success. They're in there every day. They're hard workers. They're just, they set the example that, you know, lays the groundwork for the culture of the stable for everybody else to show up and to kind of inspire that. That's tough, you know, for everybody to be on board with, you know, your business and what you're trying to accomplish and, you know, try to make them feel as part of the team as possible. I'll back that up with what was your biggest takeaway from your year in Saudi? Where were you? What happened? And why did you come back? We, I mean, we're um, delighted actually, to have you back. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I went a couple times. I went to, uh, on two different occasions. It's funny, I watched Jimmy's uh, interview the other day, and I was finally like, he's kind of downplaying how challenging it is. You know, there's just, there was, you know, the first time I think takeaway is like, it's just a totally different culture. You know, there's just a lot of things about how they value, I think, just certain things about business and family and just, you know, they, I was just kind of getting used to. Um 
I said the environment was harsh. It was very difficult. There's a lot of things that we take, you know, just kind of suppose are going to be part of what we with vets and blacksmiths and everything, but feed programs. And it was just a totally different scenario having to kind of build it all from absolute scratch and figure out how to, you know, move around certain, you know, luxuries we have here that we didn't have over there. So, I mean, it was, it did prepare me. Like there was a lot of situations that you just kind of have to throw your hands up and just remember you don't really have control. It's like here, we just have the opportunity to control so much more over there. You just kind of had to go with it. Did you learn any Arabic swear words or are they too buttoned up over there to actually swear? I don't know if I learned any swear. I mean, I don't know. It's sometimes like listening to them talk. You don't know if they're yelling at each other or just having a conversation. They get very you know, <laughs> emphatic and aggressive with the language. But I mean, I learned a little bit. Arabic. Definitely not enough to uh, definitely not enough to be considered fluent or anything. So I, I don't want us to OD on Saudi Arabia here, but how did you get over there? I'm not. Technically, not. I mean, you got on an airplane, but I mean, what led to you going from the United States to Saudi Arabia? Uh, the first time, I guess, I was you know working for Todd, and um, they uh, there was a group of there, um, one of the not one of the princes stables, but it was a major what they call Bedouin stables, so non royalty. But they got my name; they'd known I'd worked you know top level in the U.S. for a while. They reached out to me, and at that point, I'd been with Todd for you know over six years, and just kind of discuss things with him and just kind of, you know, stay where I was kind of thinking and, you know, just kind of felt like at that point in time, you know, it just felt like the right move. Wow. And the second time? Second time, um, I was actually working. I had come back. I was spent a year and a half working with Owen Hardy. Um, just, you know, he had a string up in Chicago, went up there and just kind of, um, and was with him for about 14 months. And then I got contacted from another guy who I got pretty close with over there. And he said, there's a new stable coming. It'd be a great opportunity. Um, should probably, you know, at least entertain that. And I wasn't ever really intent on going back. It was so, you know, tough the first time, but everything kind of worked out at that point. Um, you know, I had a, a baby, like a daughter on the way and, you know, it just seemed like a good idea to go over, maybe save a little money and just, uh, you know, see if it worked out. It, didn't end up working out. I came back when she was born and didn't end up going back. And then I got you know, hired by Chad soon thereafter. So it proved to be the right, you know, right decision. But yeah, tried it again. Look at on a business card. Whit Beckman, international man of mystery. There you go. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, so now here we are. I mean, you're going to have a uh, top two-year-old slash three-year-old when you get down to the fairgrounds. I don't want to jinx you or anything, but let what would it mean to you as a person who grew up in Louisville, graduated from high school in Louisville, to get back to Louisville with a Kentucky Derby contender? Yeah, that's, I mean, it's be lying if I didn't say that was the dream all along. I mean, for us to grow up here, you know, that's the race. That's part of our, you know, big time culture. It's just, it would be dream and i know you know being november and just seeing how you know difficult it is i try not to get too uh you know too focused on point on that on the end goal but just kind of stay you know here in the moment and just understand that like you know what needs to be done and i've seen what needs to be done and we'll just kind of continue to follow the you know the ball as it lies not worry about where the shot needs to go but just kind of you know focus in on the moment that being said, getting your first ever stakes win at Churchill Down, the home where you grew up, that had to be pretty amazing, didn't it? Yeah, it was the first graded stake win. Um, yes. we got a, but yeah, it was like if I could have picked anywhere in any race, that was the one. I had a couple runners that weekend. And I felt like a few of them had shots and like, 
I was going to win one of them, that was the one. I'm, you know, just super thrilled the horse was able to show what I've been seeing in the morning for quite some time. Well, Whit, thanks so much for taking the time with us. Congratulations on the success of Honor Marie. Continued success going forward, not just with that horse, uh, but with the growing stable. Thanks for taking the time. Yeah, thank you guys for having me. And as this week's Green Group Guest of the Week, Whit Beckman, as he develops his new racing stable and he gets into all the nuts and bolts of actually running a business. Good news for Whit. He receives a free one-hour tax consultation from Lynn Green and the Green Group. Again, for more information on how the Green Group can help you in the thoroughbred business or not, go to www.greenco.com. Are you paying too much in taxes? The Green Group can help. There's a reason the most successful owners, breeders, and horsemen select the Green Group as their tax advisors. They save you money and share successful strategies. Over the past 40 years, the Green Group founder, Len Green, has owned and bred some of the best racehorses in the history of the sport, like Eclipse Award-winning champions Jaywalk and Wonderwheel. His DJ stable competes at the highest level and has received the game's most prestigious honors. Len Green's in-depth, hands-on industry knowledge, combined with cutting-edge tax-saving strategies, has produced positive results for his clientele and has made the Green Group the top-rated accounting and tax firm in the thoroughbred business. For a confidential and complimentary consultation, contact us at 732-634-5100 or visit our website at www.greenco.com. The Green Group, proven strategies to save you taxes with some of the fullest fields in the country and quality racing year-round. There's never been a better time to reap the rewards of breeding and racing in Kentucky. Purse money in Kentucky is at an all-time high, as is average purse per race, outpacing California, Florida, and New York. Kentucky Breads. Breed them. Raise them. Race them. We all win. The TDN Writers' Room is brought to you by Kentucky Breads. Kentucky Breads win all over the world. Last week, it was Daily Motion, a three-year-old filly by Medaglia Doro, out of day at the spa, you remember her, who won her career debut in DeVille. Daily Motion was purchased for just $150,000 at the OBS March sale by Hubert Guy. Meanwhile, at $113,806, the average purse per race in Kentucky outpaces all other leading jurisdictions, including Arkansas, New York, California, and Florida, and grew by a massive 47% year after year. That's a lot of money they're giving away. For more information on racing and breeding in Kentucky, visit KentuckyBreads.com. Breed them, race them, raise them. We all win. So Zoe, let's now look ahead to some of the, uh, the stakes races in New York and in California this weekend on Saturday at Aqueduct, uh, not just the Cigar Mile, always a late November, early December highlight at the Big A, but also the Gopher One for Phillies and Mares. And uh, I want to focus on the two-year-olds. We've got the Remsen and the Demoiselle, both at a mile and an eight. The Remsen in particular has a lot of the big name horsemen in it, as you would expect. The probables, the PPs haven't come out yet as we tape this, but Pletcher's got a couple, Chad Brown's got a couple, Bill Mott, Brad Cox, Linda Rice. But Doorknock is in there 
And I think uh, he's going to be the heavy favorite, especially, Zoe, if you listen to trainer Danny Gargan. And we do listen to Danny. We trust in Danny Gargan. Danny's a good friend of mine, and he's always a very colorful person when you see him wherever he is. I put a call out to him. I'm like, you're definitely running, right? And he's like, yeah, yep, I'm running. He's doing great. Dornock has perhaps didn't live up to the expectation that he would win first time out and be all of a sudden a two-year-old champion. That's what he was billed at at the beginning of Saratoga. But nonetheless, he's never really run a bad race. He broke his maiden in fine fashion, winning by six and a half last time out. And that's exactly what, you know, Danny wanted to do with him. He went a mile and 16th. He managed to go two turns and he looked like a good thing under Louis Sayers when he did it. I think he is most definitely the one to beat. He's the full brother to Mage. If he does win this, I think we're going to put Puka in as broodmare of the year. Um, but yeah, he is the one to beat, but he's not the only one in there. It looks like there's probably going to be a full field. There could be 10 or 12 in here when the entries are done. Domestic product is certainly solid in here for trainer Chad Brown. He's got just two starts to his name. Broke his maiden by five-something lengths at uh, Belmont at Aqueduct in his last start. So while the Remsen, when you look back in the history of Kentucky Derby winners, does not jump off the page, this could be a very good race indeed. And perhaps it might be the best addition yet. Might be, especially if Dornock lives up to uh, to Danny Gargan's expectations. Gargan called him the best horse he's ever trained. Uh, it, you look at his past performances, he had three lifetime starts. He got beat first time out. Okay, it was sprinting. It was on a sloppy track. It was at Saratoga. Next time they sent him to the sapling, he gets a two-turn mile at Monmouth. He was beaten by Noted, trained by Todd Pletcher, who has certainly uh, not distinguished himself that highly since the sapling. But if you go back and you watch the sapling, Dornock had a brutal trip. Um, so that's why he was one to two when he ran at Keeneland and he ran 145 for a mile and a 16th on that day on a track that was not fast at all. Big speed figure that day for Dornock. So it'll be fascinating to see, uh, if he repeats that going a mile and an eighth in the rims. And what about the uh, cigar mile and go for one? Anything stick out to you there? I mean, it's Chad Brown, isn't it? Uh, Chad Brown's won 22 graded stakes on the year, and he looks like he's going to try and finish with a bang, not only at Aqueduct, but at Del Mar this weekend. Um, Cigar Mile, Brown will have accretive. Casillas, Dr. Ardito, looks like Senor Buscador is going to go in there for trainer Todd Fincher. Be good to see him get in the win column. Ever, ever so mischievous. What do you make of him? He's likely to be the lone three-year-old in there. He could yeah, be I mean, he's, he's, he's in a He's in a pretty tough spot, but this is not the strongest edition of this race. No. Uh, in the past, we've seen you know, some really, really uh, stellar cigar miles. This year, maybe not so much. Uh, so if there's ever a spot for a three-year-old like that to win, this might, uh, this might be the one. He certainly has run some big races in his past. As far as the go for one, uh, what about Jerry Manda winning that match race by like 25 lengths? She, she's always been one of my favorites, especially having to film her in the morning with the works because she's just such a pleasure to watch because she's just so excitable. Like when she works, she's all out all the time. She's got one way or no way. And that's how she won the match race that she won by 25 lengths. Is she the one to beat in the go for one? I, 
possibly. Uh, of course, you've had to take trip handicapping, Zoe. You got to take yeah, those easy trips, like in yeah, a match race. With the grain of salt, you got to look for value. If horse wins by 25, <laughs> people are going to be jumping all over it, right? So you got to try to take a shot against it. All right. So uh, that's Aqueduct. Uh, Del Mar also has some big races this weekend. As much as I would like to see Dornuck in the Remsen, if I was going to be in person at any of these races, let's see. I got a choice. I can be at Aqueduct in late November or I could be at Del Mar any time of the year. I've got some serious Del Mar envy here. Tell us about yeah, what to expect I know where this you're weekend going. out there. You'll go to Del Mar every day of the week and twice on Sunday. It looks like the weather's going to be great down there. They're going to have some really, really good stakes races this weekend. Of course, it's closing weekend at Del Mar. What have we got going on there? you got the Hollywood Derby, the Grade 3 Jimmy Durante for, for two-year-olds, the Stormy Liberal Stakes, that's five-eighths on the grass, the Matriarch, and the Cecil B. DeMille Stakes as well for the two-year-olds. Let's talk about the Matriarch first. Uh, Chad Brown's going to run four in there. He's won five of the last six runnings. This could be a, like a monumental weekend for Chad Brown. Looks like he's going to have... Uh, Bo Butte Cash, Fluffy Socks, and Surge Capacity, who was very strong in the Valley View last time out. White Beam, the winner of the Grade One, Diana. Closing remarks will be the local hope for trainer Carla Gaines. She's doing great. She's won four graded stakes on the year, so she'll be the local hope. And then you've got Speed in there for Ruby Nell. And Dick Mandelo is winning just about everything he chooses. Loved the way search capacity looked in her last race at Keeneland. And Chad certainly, as you pointed out, has a knack for uh, gauging which of his horses will handle the really firm Southern California turf, which ones to send out there. Uh, plenty of success there. All right, XPTV Work of the Week. What do you got? We've got Speedboat Beach. Oh. I remember Speedboat Beach. Man, he looked good. He's one that you really want to work solo, which did not happens so the tdn writers room is brought to you by xbtv this week's work of the week week as i mentioned is speedboat beach who worked a handy four furlongs now you got some unwanted company here and you can see the guy's feet are absolutely on the dashboard working in 48 and one on sunday now he looks like he's going to be entered along with stablemates hijazi and fort bragg in the Grade 1 Malibu Stakes on opening day, December the 26th at Santa Anita. Speedboat Beach was last seen finishing fourth to Elite Power in the Grade 1 Breeders' Cup Sprint at Santa Anita. And if he keeps working like this, he'll be certainly one to beat. All the thrills. Fraction of the bills. Experience the power of the partnership. Change your life, make new friends, and compete at the highest level of thoroughbred racing. West Point Thoroughbreds, the gold standard in racing partnerships. Visit westpointtb.com. TD and Riders Room also brought to you by West Point Thoroughbreds. It was a busy Thanksgiving weekend of racing for the West Point Partners in the Kentucky Jockey Club, won by Honor Marie. Their promising two-year-old stretch ride, trained by Dale Romans, was right up there on the pace all the way and held on to finish a nice third. The next day on Sunday, Northern Invader finished second in the Commonwealth Stakes for three-year-olds, originally to be run on the turf, moved to the dirt. And they also visited the Winter Circle Saturday in a maiden special weight 
a very nice performance by Legalize, who won that race at Churchill in only his second lifetime start. If you're interested in joining a West Point partnership and vaulting into the world of instant camaraderie, go to westpointtb.com. Zoe likes that part. I do. I do. You know, that's one of the words I can never really say. Camaraderie. <laughs> it's, it's a horrible word for me to say. I can say it, but if I read it, I can't say it. I just have certain words like that that just flummox me because, you know. All right. I, I think we're done here. We are done. Uh, we miss Bill Finley. Bill, get well quick and come back next week. Thanks to everybody. Zoe, thank you. Thanks to Whit Beckman, our Green Group Guest of the Week, Katie Petruniak, Anthony LaRocca, Ali LaRocca, and Nathan Wilkinson. And, and Lucy. Like Look, she's Lucy doing is, her best uh, very dead dog. Right What's that? <laughs> she's doing her best dead dog impression. Yeah, she likes the stiff-legged look about this time of the day. Yeah, I'll have to take her out here pretty soon. Thanks, everybody, and we'll see you next week with Bill. Cheers, Randy. Cheers, Randy.